It's great to be talking to you this morning, and uh, we need to get a wee table or something. Yeah. Alan did a great job last week doing a, an overview of the, the four types of soil that are in the uh, parable of um, parables, the, the parable of the sower and the seed. And this week I'm going to focus on the first soil, uh, and this is one that we probably, when we're reading it, we kind of spend least amount of time on because we kind of go, oh, that's a soil that's really hard, the seed bounces off, the birds of the air steal it, you know, uh, and, and then we move on. But um, God has something for all of us in this parable this morning, so I'd love for us to really tune in and listen to what God wants to say. So the words are on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can read it as well um, in Matthew 13. And it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, if you jump down to uh, verse 18, this is where Jesus explains a parable to his disciples, who didn't seem to know what he was talking about. Um, and uh, he said, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And so that's what I want to focus um, today on. So when I read parables like this, I need to remind myself that Jesus was talking to real people, to a real audience in a specific geographical location. And so I've got a wee picture here for you. I painted this yesterday. Um, and uh, I thought I would add in a guy with a top hat um, because, you know, they were really popular in Jesus' time. Um, it's really hard to find a decent picture, okay? But um, this is helpful because there's a lot of people here, a bit like this morning, there's a lot of people listening to Jesus. And so when Jesus is talking about there were these four types of soil, the four types of soil are actually people in his audience that he is looking at. So he's thinking about the people over here, you know, the hard soil, maybe some of the religious leaders. He's thinking about the people over here that receive the word gladly. He's thinking over here about people where there's really good soil in their lives. They're actual people that he's talking about in an actual situation. I find that very helpful. Hopefully you will to think about that as a reminder. And the thing about crowds is, when you're really popular, you get crowds, okay? And I would say that Jesus was probably at the height of his fame at this particular time. And I use the word fame deliberately because it's an interesting word. So it's not just the height of his popularity, it's the height of his fame. Because famous people, not everybody likes them. Not everybody agrees with them. People hang around them because they don't like them um, as much as they do. And so um, crowds gather for different reasons. And so Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees physical people, but he's looking with spiritual eyes. He looks at them through the eyes of love and compassion, but he also sees the true state of their hearts as he looks uh, around from his boat where he has this great vantage point. And he uses parables to speak in a way that those who are really hungry, that really want to hear, that really want to take it on board can. 
And those whose maybe hearts are hardened or who are there for other reasons, it'll kind of go over their heads. So our passage starts with the, the phrase, that same day. And that's not a very good place to start, is it? You know, how, how would that work in a conversation when somebody said, and later on that day, and they began to tell you a story, because you would be asking them, well, what happened earlier that day? Um, and so I want us to, to think about that day, and actually slightly further back, where Jesus has become this figure of popularity, but also of controversy. Much of the previous chapters include stories of miracles, of lives changed, of people healed, but also of conflict with religious authorities. Them trying to argue with him, trying to catch him out, um, trying to make false claims about him. And I'll just show you a couple of those things. Um, and Jesus actually laments about this in, in chapter 11 of Matthew, how people rejected him, even when they saw his miracles. And so it says this in chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for this um, is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am generous and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these verses actually say, um, if we go back a slide, that these things are hidden from wise and learned people. Have you ever tried to teach anything to someone who already thinks that they're wise and learned? All they want to do is argue with you. It's nearly impossible because they're not teachable. It feels like your words bounce off them, maybe like sowing seed on hard ground. Now, the opposite of that, you might say, is little children. And we actually have phrases that we describe how little children take on information. You know, we say that, that when they're being taught, they soak it up like a sponge. Um, we could even use gardening metaphors like they're really fertile soil to, to learn things. Um, and, and, and this is the difference. So Jesus already has this experience of religious people who won't listen to what he says. And he says, those that would hear and, and understand taking the kingdom have to be like little children. Not that they're simple and don't know anything, but that their hearts are soft and that they're willing to soak up what he wants to say like a sponge. Their minds are fertile soil. And the exciting thing for us is that, that not only does God give us information, but he gives it us himself. Father God is pleased to give you these things. Jesus on, goes on to say that this teaching, that this seed of the kingdom is, is a yoke that's easy. It's light. So when Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, his yoke is actually um, a rabbinic word for his teachings, his ways are easy and light. You'll find rest for your soul. So this good news of the kingdom is designed for us to carry in our lives and to produce good things from our lives that we will benefit on. If it goes forward slightly in uh, Matthew, in, in chapter 12 from verse 33, um, 
we see that Jesus comes into contact with the hard soil um, of the Pharisees' hearts again, where it says, um, where he says in verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you hear evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up for him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up for him. So again, we see this sort of picture or metaphor, slightly different, of a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bearing bad fruit. And so that's in chapter 12. The passage that we're looking at extensively is in chapter 13. And this bad fruit, these Pharisees and religious people, these people of hard hearts are in the audience when the message is given. So in our passage, um, and there are lots of other people in the crowd. So in our passage, when we, we read later that same day, the context is that Jesus and the people that are following him um, have had a number of interactions. There are people who are hungry and desperate for a word from him who are really, really broken. They just want to hear the good news. There are people who have experienced healing and been set free from demons. That They're also in the crowd, and they're also one of the seeds that's in our passage. And there are people who are hardened for all sorts of reasons. Some of them are because they're religious people who aren't teachable, but others are because life has been hard to them, and their life has been hardened because of that. So, the path, okay? I've got a wee picture of the path. Um, the path in the field is not made of concrete or flagstones, okay? Yours might be in your garden. The one in the story isn't. As far as I know, somebody can correct me if you really want, um, but just don't do that right now on Google. <laughs> there was no concrete. There were no flagstones. There was no crazy paving. There was just dirt. Okay? So the path is actually soil. In those days, a field would have had multiple paths running through it, giving access to the crops that ran between plowed lengths in the field. And these access pathways were for a farmer to be able to maintain his crops as they grew, pick out the weeds, and carefully walk in between the crops without damaging them. So it's inevitable that the act of sowing seed generously, and literally imagine somebody throwing out seed, would have caused some of the seed to land along the path. And the clever birds of the air would know, oh, there's some um, seed along the path. That's going to be easy pickings for us. And down they would come and swoop and um, pick them up. So these paths are well-worn, pressed down, trodden on soil. They have become compacted over time with feet and sandals. They have been excluded from irrigation because there's no crops planted there. Um, but underneath, somewhere underneath this hard soil, there is softer soil that probably once produced something. But maybe like me, your go-to interpretation is some people have hard hearts. They're selfish and self-obsessed, and they just don't hear the gospel. That's what that, that means, right? It means that, yeah, probably, but it also means so much more. 
Um, there's so many other reasons why um, life gets hard and our hearts get hard. Um, so, we all know people who were once hard, hardened to the gospel, hardened to the good news, hardened to Jesus, and something changed in their lives. At one stage, Ricky, his life was hardened to the gospel. He wasn't interested, but something changed. Something softened. The hard path in his life began to change, and the seed of the kingdom got in there and started to grow. So let's not dismiss this soil too easily. I remember years ago when I was in secondary school, and uh, my secondary school was an interesting place. Uh, my wife liked to call it day borstal, but um, it was really, really rough, and it was not a good experience for me most of the time. And I remember one of the hard lads who's like, I need to speak to you after school. I want to talk to you about something. And I'm like, oh, what, what have I done now? I'm in so much trouble. And uh, he's like, I need to talk to you about church. I saw you going into your church. Um, and I'm like, right, okay, I'm really in trouble now. And then he's like, I've given my life to Jesus, and I want to know, like, how do I come to your church? And I was just completely and utterly shocked because I had assumed that his heart was hard. He was one of the lads and all this kind of stuff. And then he started to tell me his story. He started to tell me about his brokenness. And he started telling me about going along to a church service that his dad had invited him to, and he gave his life to Jesus. And I had written him off, I suppose, like most of the other people that I went to school with. Um, but God hadn't. God was continually working on the hard path of his life so that the kingdom seed would get in and start to grow. And there are so many reasons why people have hard hearts and when they do, the enemy comes in. As we see in this verse, I'll just remind you that we read earlier, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the devil does this when non-believers hear about Jesus. But he also does it to us when the kingdom is sown into our lives in areas where there's hardness. He swoops in and stops us. You see, the seed is the seed of the kingdom. It's not the seed of the gospel, okay? It's really, really important that we see the difference. The gospel is included in the kingdom, but the kingdom is so much more. The gospel, see, Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of salvation. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, which salvation is the way in. But the way on is the kingdom. And so in our lives too, we can find that if there are areas of hardness, the devil will swoop in and take that seed away before it has a chance to germinate. Why? Because if it germinates and starts to grow, your life will be changed and transformed. That is the heart of Jesus. We're not saved and stuck and waiting for heaven. We're being transformed into his likeness every day. So I want to talk about three things to do with seed. Um, the first one is for those that think they know better, and that's why their life is hard. For those whose lives have been hardened because of their pursuits of self, and for those who have been hurt and wounded, and that's why their lives are hard. They're hard because it enables them to protect themselves. 
See, we all have barren places that we need God to grow something in. So first of all, hardened and unteachable. I've already talked about that um, a little bit. Certainly a key group that people was tr- that Jesus was trying to talk about, they already know. And, and I get this sometimes, you know, even we're, we're advertising the Alpha course and people are like, well, I'm not a new Christian, I don't need to go. And, and I, part of me is like, okay, maybe, maybe, but part of me is like, well, if you've never done the Alpha course, how would you know? How would you not know that there's nothing in it for you? Could it not be that actually, and I just normally respond with, um, as I think Debbie said a couple of weeks ago, every time I do the Alpha Course, I learn something new about God, about Jesus. But every time I do the Alpha Course as well, I learn something from other people that I didn't know about Jesus too, because we, we see in parts, don't we? And we all carry these little parts, and if we're open, there's revelation from others. And so I don't close my heart to the fact that I might learn something new. The religious people were one of the main groups that Jesus was trying to speak to, whose hearts were hard. And the religious spirit is dangerous, even in those who don't consider themselves to be religious, because it convinces them that they are right, therefore other people are wrong, and therefore there's nothing that you can teach them. And so we see this religious spirit, for example, in the atheists. Um, They tell you they're not religious, but they actually have all the hallmarks very often of uh, particularly militant atheists. They actually project a religiosity about the way that they pursue their beliefs. They would say they have non-beliefs, but again, their behavior would indicate that they do have beliefs. And so an extreme version of that is these Pharisees and the teachers of the law who believe themselves to be so right that they, I mean, if you read the, the chapters before this story, they believe themselves to be so right that instead of seeing miracles, like actual miracles before their eyes as being proof of who Jesus is, they decide this must be demonic power. People getting healed, so they'd rather have that narrative than to actually have to cope with the fact that they're wrong. They would get, rather get rid of him than have their lives disrupted by this humble, loving, miracle-working teacher who has all the authority, but he comes from Nazareth. The kingdom seed is bouncing off them all the time. Miracles, people raised from the dead, leprosy cured, all sorts of things. 5,000 people healed, and they're like, well, this must be demonic because this doesn't fit with what we already believe. And Satan just takes every single seed away that could have actually stuck in their hearts. You see, religion can be a refuge for control. We can manage our lives when the rules dictate how things happen. The work of the Spirit who brings the kingdom, it's scary in comparison to a religious life because the Spirit is like the wind, as is Jesus. You don't know what He's going to do next. You don't know how things are going to go. And so sometimes we can feel ourselves when life is getting hard, retreating into religiosity or into accepted norms of behaviors because it's safe and controllable. We don't have to cope with the fact that if Jesus starts actually working in our lives and sowing the kingdom seed in there and the Holy Spirit breathes life on it, that things might get chaotic. Being religious, being hard, following the rules can keep us safe from the work of the Spirit and stop us getting out of control or doing something that might embarrass ourselves or, or something like that, which would be absolutely terrible. Um, so 
We all have little areas in our lives that look a little bit like that, though, don't we? The second one is that we're hardened by the selfish pursuit of earthly things and earthly wisdom. Some people have hard hearts because um, they have pursued things that have taken them away from God. And many people are, are actually caught up in building paths. That that is actually their actual pursuit to build large, flat, smooth paths in their lives that look great, they're neat and tidy, and maybe give the impression on the outside that everything is going great, but inside, underneath the hard path, it's a mess. Many of the systems that people participate in the world um, are like that. And we even have phrases to describe how this hard path is, is built. Um, and I used to work in business for quite a few years, and you would have heard in some way or another a version of dog eat dog, kill or be killed, survival of the fittest. Um, and I worked in business, the language of used or was implied by climbing up the corporate ladder, and you might have to stand on a few people on your way up. Um, and now, some of that sounds extreme, right? But it happens a lot, and it's often celebrated. The person that got to the top, that put everything in it. And even language or a phrase like given 110%, it requires more of your time, more of your, your effort, more of your energy, more of your health. People end up stressed and burnt out because they're trying to make it. And they sacrifice some of the things and some of the feelings that would make them more human along the way. And so much of what our world pursues and goes after is dehumanizing because it requires so much to get there. And the thing about that is that when that happens, something changes in us, that the hardness that maybe happens in our hearts is because we become less than human, that it's a dehumanizing thing to stand and walk over the top of other people, to put everything into reaching the top or success or achievement in whatever way the world chooses to measure it. And we can find ourselves having all the outward appearance of success, but desperately lonely and unhappy inside. Following the goals and ideas of the world can cause a hardness to the seed of the kingdom, because the kingdom of the seed can be inconvenient and even painful to the life built on material things in pursuit of success or stuff or achievement. Like the rich young ruler, we can end up walking away sad, because we're being asked to give up too much. You see, when God plants a kingdom in our hearts, it can do things that disrupt us and ask too much of us, causing us to be more humble when we don't want to be, more generous when we're actually trying to accumulate stuff, more patient when we need to get things done right now. It can cause us to question our choices around material things. It can challenge us to stop participating in systems that cause the oppression of others and only reward those in power. It can cost us a promotion at work. It can stop us fitting in well with the people that we're trying to impress. The kingdom of God can cause us to weep and walk with the broken, and it can damage our reputations, cause others to think badly of us and make us fools in the world's eyes. You see, it's a lot easier to maintain a, ni a nice, neat little pathway than to allow the wild planting of the kingdom to mess up our well-defined road or career path or list of achievements or status collected things that we want to value signal to everybody else that we're doing great things. It starts to get messy when Jesus keeps throwing seed into our lives. Um, 
and God would blind, or the enemy would blind us to what God is doing in these moments. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If Satan can blind unbelievers, he can blind believers too, and we can miss out. You see, the counterfeit kingdom looks good, but when we get up close, it's just astroturf or painted over concrete. And we all have blind spots in this area. There's obvious sin that causes hardness in our lives, but there's also subtle distraction. There are patterns that we create that over time lead us to a, a place of hardness uh, and, and where we're not open in our lives to what God might want to plant. So the third thing I want to talk about is how we get hardened by pain and hurt and brokenness. And as I have been writing uh, this sermon, this is probably the, the first thing that, that has been on my mind. You see, if we're honest, we're all wounded. We all have areas of brokenness. We're all hurting. Most of the time, we hide these things really well. Life and society has dehumanized us and the ones we love. But circumstances have left us in survival mode. We're hardened because it's the only way that we know to be able to get through. For many people, it is a survival mechanism. It's a way they stay safe because they've been hurt so many times. It's not that they don't want, it's not that we don't want the kingdom seed of God in our lives, but we're close to this good news because we've been walked over and trodden down too many times. Being hard on the surface actually keeps you safe from abusers, it keeps you safe from more pain. It is safer to stay closed than to risk opening up again. And when these painful and traumatic things happen, like wounds that get opened again and again, they get hard and they get scarred and they get calloused. And it's harder and harder for the kingdom seed to get in. But guess who's throwing endless kingdom seed at the hard, calloused wounds? That's what Jesus does. Maybe, for example, you have a father wound, right? And you've kind of gone, I can't, I can't look at God as father. That's, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you picked the wrong one because God is relentlessly going to pursue that hard heart, that hard place in your life because it, Jesus came and died on the cross so that we might know and live in the good of the fact that we're loved by a father. And so we maybe have a hard place in our hearts because of the pain that a father wound has caused. But Jesus is going to keep in his love and compassion sowing seed. He's going to pour water that's going to actually soak into that ground over time. He's going to say, can I come in your life and start turning over that soil to make a good soil where something can be planted? So the rejection of seed is not always willful disobedience. It is um, often survival and self-protection, working against the greater good of the person who's hiding underneath the hard path. I've actually had the, the joy of watching how so many of people in this church have changed over time when I've seen areas in your heart and areas in your life that have been hardened to God working or moving in, but, but over time, They've become soft, you've become soft, 
and I've seen the seed grow and something start to change and transform and fruitfulness come from areas in your life. And I've seen this in my life that were once barren. I've seen this in Connect Cafe. One of the, the, the things about Connect Cafe is the same people come back every week. And sometimes those, those people are hard work, like really, really, really hard work. And you have to listen to the same thing over and over again, where they just pour out their brokenness and tell you all the things that have happened to them and tell you what's wrong with the world. And, and I have seen very patient people in our congregation. And do you know what happens? Not over days, not over weeks, sometimes not over months. The hard path in that person's life gets softer and softer and softer because they are relentlessly loved and seen and welcomed by people in this place to the point where at some point something happens. And you see this, like, I remember one time uh, we have loads of buns and biscuits, and and I knew what buns and biscuits we'd bought. But I was like, "Who, who bought these? And it was one of the people that came in to Connect Cafe, someone who had come for over a year and just taken. And someone the experience of talking to was quite draining. Something had changed in them where they actually came to give. Where they actually came, and they came with a thought. They'd been thinking beforehand about how they could bless the people here because their heart had been softened by relentless love. I see that so many times in that environment. So let me just, um, I was about to use a preacher's um, line and say, come into land, okay, but I said it anyway. Um, so let me just talk a little bit more, very quickly, about uh, some application here. We're breaking up the fallow ground. So uh, verses on the screen, there's the fallow ground. Is the verse not on the screen? Oh, well. You, you know, just about breaking up the fallow ground. We all know the verse anyway. Um, <clears throat> it's part of our Cultivate series. That's what fallow ground looks like. It's dry, hard, crusted ground. And the Bible calls us to break it up, to turn it over. And it's interesting that when we look back at Scripture, we find that Adam and Eve, that mankind, were placed in a garden. And could it be that actually we're always meant to experience the continual sowing of the kingdom into our hearts and lives that would grow and produce fruit? Surely this is the way things were always supposed to be, except that sin came in, into the world. That before sin came into the world, that we were fertile soil. Our lives were fertile soil for the divine gardener to actually work his wonders in and through us. We actually read that cultivation is one of the things that God commanded Adam and Eve to do. In in Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. So maybe to be truly human, we are meant to experience the wonder and the joy of abundant kingdom fruitfulness in our lives in continual seasons. Isn't that an exciting prospect? The seed is abundant, and the gardener is patient and generous, so let's cooperate um, with him as he works in the soil of our lives. There's a lot of work to be done. We all know 
Each of us has areas, ground in our lives that need him to bring change and transformation. In different seasons, there will be different areas of fruitfulness. So let's break up the fallow ground. The worship team are going to come up. Um, we're just going to do a little song to respond. Um, because he's never going to stop sowing. He's never going to run out of seed. How many of us would be here today if God gave up because there was a bit of hardness of heart in our lives when it came to coming to faith? How many of us would not have changed and transformed if, if God had kind of looked at us and thought, well, they're not open to me doing this. They're not open to me doing that. I'm not going to be able to work here because that grind's too hard. He continually works in the soil of our lives so that his seed will come in. So why don't we, why don't we stand? And just as I've been speaking this morning, there probably are a few things in your life, a few areas in your life that you know are currently hardened to what God might want to to do. And maybe they're there because you're protecting yourself from a place of hurt and a place of pain. Maybe it's a safety mechanism. Maybe you just don't like the idea that God might do something that, that you're not in control of. Maybe that's where your hardness comes. But just as we're singing this song, I just encourage you to ask Jesus, what is it that you want to do in my life today that there's something that's stopping that happen? that I need to ask you into a place of hardness in my life to soften it up so that fruitfulness can come. So let's worship.